Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. This is Carolina Sports Talk. It's your man, Big Cliff. As always, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to hit us up on the Carolina Sports Talk line, Cliff at carolinasportstalk.net. You can also find us on Instagram at Carolina Sports Talk. Dog, do y'all hear that? Can y'all feel that? Can y'all, can you smell it in the air? You already know what time it is. It is almost time for the NFL draft this Thursday. Less than 24 hours from release time of this show. Woo! It's a draft. It's a draft. It's a draft. I am excited more so about this draft than I have been, I think, for any others in several, several years. This draft has quarterbacks, 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 quarterbacks up and down the draft. There's a lot of prognosticators not knowing what they're talking about. There's a lot of us who know what we're talking about. And it's in between a bunch of us who just going to be wrong all up and down the airways. One of such individuals who has just been just ridiculously wrong is one Mr. Chris Sims in his 2021 mock draft. Mr. Sims has quarterback Justin Fields from Ohio State slipping all the way down to number 32 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He does have, as far as some of the other top quarterbacks, he, of course, Trevor Lawrence and Zach, Trevor Lawrence going first overall at Jacksonville, uh, Zach Wilson going second to the Jets. But then at number three, he has San Francisco selecting Mac Jones. We, the Carolina Panthers, trade out of the number eight pick and trade with Washington in his mock draft to get Trey Lance there with Washington. He then skips Denver and New England, with who both need quarterbacks, and drops Justin Fields all the way down to the 32nd pick. There is no part about anything of anyone who's watched any football over the course of the last two seasons that really believes that Justin Fields should slip all the way down to number 32. Now, I get it that he, you know, no, I don't get it. I don't understand why there are some people who are even pushing him down. Like, I don't like Ohio State. Now, let me, let's clarify this. Like, I've not liked them for a very long time, okay? But I respected the way that he played, the way that he beat Clemson, the toughness that he showed, and even with what he gave to Alabama. It, it was very, very evident that he was the truth. He was the real deal. I've respected him, and I've always since thought that he would be the second pick kind of behind Trevor, or at least the second quarterback to go. But for all of these guys to be pushing him down and down, I don't get it. Now, I've been telling you guys for weeks that the draft, I was thinking it started at four, but I'm going to bump it up and say that it will really start with maybe three and a half because San Francisco is really trying to give a whole lot of uh, smoke and mirrors, if you would, to make us think that they're not going to go Mac Jones. But they, if they're smart, they'd take Justin Fields. But, you know, I honestly believe that they, the draft starts then because what happens then is a domino effect and really affects every other pick following from there, there are certain teams that we know need quarterbacks. Like I said, Washington needs a quarterback. New England needs a quarterback. Detroit has been flirting, some say, with the idea of a quarterback, despite what they've had. Um, and even, like I said, Denver is just, I, I just don't understand how or where he could possibly slip 
all the way down for that. And even if he did, some team that needs somebody is going to trade back to that position and is going to get him. It's just no way, shape, or form. But I am excited about this thing more than I have been for a lot. Even with the Panthers, there have been some who have said, oh, they're going to take a wide receiver. Oh, if Kyle Pitts falls to them, they can have him. Oh, they should take a quarterback. Oh, they should trade out of the pick. There's just so many options. And quite honestly, all of them I would be pretty happy with. But let's just go ahead and just kind of rank how and what would make me the happiest. I honestly believe if New England was to come knocking and say, hey, we want to trade up to that number eight pick, that would be my favorite scenario. And here's why. We would not only be able to still get a really, really quality, high-quality skill position player with the way that this draft is just working out. At number 12, one of the top three wide receivers is going to be available. If it's Smith, if it's Waddle, if it's Jamar Chase, there's going to be at least one of those guys available right there at the number 12 spot. So we not only then get to draft back and get a high-quality wide receiver to take the place, especially in that slot position that has been abandoned by Curtis Samuel, we are going to then be able to pick up and really get some of those assets in return. A minimum, another first round. We're going to be able to hopefully get at least two second rounds or maybe even two first rounds. Who knows? But at the end of the day, it's a lot of capital that gives us a lot of options and maneuverability later on, whether it be in the, set, in the, same, in the same draft. If we package some of those picks and then turn around and trade back up into the second round or back up into the first round even, it is really, really a lot of options that really – are going to help us long-term if we end up trading back. The next thing I would say is if Kyle Pitts, oh, Lord, if you love me, Lord, hear my voice. No, if Kyle Pitts was to fall to us at number eight, there is going to be a parade in Charlotte in the next several years if we get that fella there. I'm telling you what I'm, I'm telling you what I know. That guy is, and everybody throws it out there, so I'm going to say it, a generational talent. Um, I've watched some more of his film and I've watched several of his interviews and just the poise that this young man has, the enthusiasm and the size pause that he has. It's like, bruh, you, he's got the tight end body, but like, oh man, the only way I can equate it similarly is with, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the way that the five position has just morphed in the NBA to have such a top, like, the centers being so athletic and being able to shoot from all around the court, just the versatility that the new five and the new center position has in the NBA. That is what he has the capability of being for the tight end position. He has that size. He has the speed. He has the maneuverability. He has the fluidity. Just, just oh, yeah. So, Paul's like I'm saying, this dude come to Carolina, it's going to be a parade up and down Mint Street. That's all I'm saying. Now, the next best thing that I would like to see is if we were to get an offensive lineman, and I know that's not the sexy pick, but if Panay Suel drops, and if you notice, I'm, I'm giving scenarios because there is a legitimate opportunity for some of these other teams to start trading back up and trying to get these quarterbacks. And we could very realistically see four quarterbacks gone in the first four picks. And all that that does is adjust. Like, if you've ever been in fantasy and then there's that one guy in the bottom of the first round who get, goes and drafts a quarterback. Like, oh, I'm drafting Cam Newton. Championship. And then as a result, somebody else is like, wait, well, maybe I need to get a quarterback. And then all of a sudden, it's like four or five of these people in here drafting quarterbacks in the first and second round in a fantasy draft. It's like, yeah, meanwhile, I'm going to go ahead and scoop my quarterback around the 
fifth round and still get all these points with these wide receivers and running backs that y'all got up here, I appreciate you. That's what this real-life draft has the capability of being. It literally can be these top three, top two talents at positions that fall down into the double digits. Can y'all imagine? Like, can you really fathom that? Like, oh, man, I am highly, highly excited because this is one of the first drafts in several years, as I've mentioned, that you just simply don't know what's going to happen. Certain times you see certain teams aligning in the needs and all of this. There is a lot of excitement with a lot of different teams, and I am really, really excited. Now, most of this, most of these topics were um, fed in today from our from one of our first viewer posts. We had a listener's choice, and so we, you guys said you wanted to talk about the drafts, so we're talking about the drafts. There was one young man, Mr. Marquise Ellis, that had the audacity to ask me, are the Bucks going to repeat? Well, Mr. Ellis, I told you that I would let you know why, and the answer is an emphatic no, they will not. It was only by the grace of God that Tom Brady was able to squeak this one by, and I say that, but no, his team dominated because of defense. Had the offensive linemen been healthy for the Kansas City Chiefs, we'd be talking about how Patrick Mahomes beat the legacy of the great Tom Brady and and would be just destined to be already Hall of Famer Pat Mahomes, as they call him on the four-letter. But, like, if not for those ends on the offensive line being out, then no, they wouldn't have won this one. And, yes, I, I admit that him taking – Tom Brady taking less money and them signing almost everyone back and still having draft picks. And, I mean <sighs> – yeah, they'll probably make it back to the NFC uh, side of the things and win the NFC championship. But if Patrick Mahomes is on the other side, I'm telling you, with the offensive lineman that they just traded over from Baltimore, his line is going to be shored up. They're going to focus on that and ensure that. Travis Kelsey still is a monster. Tyreek Hill is still an animal. And they get draft picks. And they get their running back that it was hurt for a big po- portion of the season. So, yeah, no. If, if, if Kansas City is healthy... Going into the playoffs in the postseason, there's no one going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs this year. So, no, the Bucks will not repeat. Um, another part of my, uh, a question from my guy, Mr. Andrew Polly, said, a healthy Hornet squad can throw down with the best of them. What big man would you take this team? Uh, what, big young, what big man would you take this young team to the next level? No, I just said it all wrong. But y'all get the point. What big man would take this young team to the next level? Well, Polly, as I just mentioned about the difference and the change of uh, big men in the league, I think Mr. Number One uh, former pick, uh, not from the first round pick, Mr. James Wiseman, um, would be an amazing addition to the Charlotte Hornets. And this one may be a little bit more realistic than you guys can think. I know you say, oh, well, they just spent some draft capital on him last year and no way they're going to give him up. Blah, 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 blah. When Clay comes back, that team is going to be a little bit different. They are going to look for somebody who's a similar type of player, but I think they're not too interested in bringing him back. And here's why. Since James Wiseman's injury, the Golden State Warriors have ranked number one in net rating. The chemistry that they have, like I said, with Clay gone and everything, was kind of rocky at the start of the seventh, at the start of the season with Kelly Oubre. Um, just overall, is it, it has changed. Their defensive rating has been amazing. They're literally the number one rated team in the league since his injury, and they've rose up to number four in offensive rating. 
so now a lot of that has to do with Steph Curry walking in the gym and shooting from behind the locker room doors underneath the bench and behind the shower curtain. But a lot of that has to be with just the overall injury and him not really being the best fit for the Warriors. I know it's early, and I hate to say give up on the young man, but knowing the kind of ball that you can play with some lesser known and, and, and definitely in the long run going to be less expensive role player type cats, I think it's going to be good for the Warriors. And so if you now introduce him and give him a new start, similar to what my guy um, Sam Darnold is going to get here in Carolina, if you give him the Charlotte area with all those young guns they got, with Melo being the playmaker unselfishly that he is, I feel like the, that nucleus could get together and grow together. They could give him an instant fresh start so he can just restart and move forward. And I think that that would help take them definitely to, if not one of the better teams in the league, to definitely, definitely one of the most exciting to watch. So that is who I would stick into that spot, my guy. Shout out again to Polly, regular listening to the show out there in Kansas. You know what I mean? One time for you, my dog. All right, and for my next guest, we are going to bring in a Carolina Sports Talk, our resident golfer, Mr. Justin Smith. Welcome to the show, Justin. What's going on? How you doing? Good, 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 bro. So uh, for all you listeners out there, as I mentioned last week, um, and as some of you may have heard the week before, I had my first major snafu when it comes to the announcement game, and I called Mr. Hideki Matsuyama, uh, I called him by the name of a certain baseball player for a certain team that I may or may not be a fan of. But um, when I realized it, not very shortly afterwards, I got a call from my resident golfer and said, bruh, I'm wondering, like, why there's a baseball player? <laughs> Justin, <laughs> what, did, did you really have to go for me like that, bro? Uh, well, you know me. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Of course I do. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that helped me get get right, and it helped my fans and my listeners to be able to get some expert uh, advice, some knowledge, just a little bit about uh, black golfers. Now, I mentioned also on a couple of uh, shows ago about black golfers and how there weren't so many. Now, with you yourself being a golfer, what kind of led you to the game? Because if I'm not mistaken, Tiger was a little bit after when you started, right? Yeah, no, so he was, he was, he would have been the reason why I started playing. Um, okay playing golf and uh just one point before i before i get into that the the i guess the importance of hideki matsuyama winning was he was the first japanese golfer to win a major championship oh word Um, though yeah so those of you that don't know um about golf and and the and the majors there's four majors the the u.s open uh the british open which is typically called the open championship there's uh the pga championship and then the Masters, of course, that everyone knows about, especially if you're in the Southeast. Right. Um, but uh, when not yeah, to go to Augusta, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but he was the first. Uh, he was the first Japanese golfer to win a major championship. And Hideki's been around for a while. He's been close uh, a few times. He's a great golfer, and he'll probably kind of go into that next level of golfer now that he's got one. Okay. He's one of those players that'll that may you know rattle off a few golf is kind of like that you know once you kind of get that get that that hurdle off of your off your back or off of your shoulders then uh it kind of frees you up a little bit so i expect to see a lot more from him so um, so he can kind of essentially be for japanese americans to kind of what tiger was for a lot of for black sure. folks that's dope man yeah for Word. sure yeah for sure for sure he he is that he is he is basically japan the face of japanese golf golfers 
Wow. Because he's the, he's, the, he's the only one that's had major success on the PGA Tour. He's won a lot here in the United States. Okay. Uh, he just hasn't won a major yet. So. Okay, yeah. I'm looking at some of his stats and seeing he was tied for sixth at the highest. Uh, it's his highest form in the um, Open Championship and stuff. He's a young guy, too, only 29 years old. So, I mean, yep. if like you said, if this can be that pinnacle point for him, to kind of breakthrough moment, he could very easily because, you know, folks will follow something like that, you know? So, yeah. Um, and to give context about how long he's been there, I believe it was 2011, which would have been 10 years ago, at the, the Masters tournament, they uh, they actually crown a low amateur as well. So there's a professional and then there's a few amateur golfers that get to play. And okay. he won the, the low amateur in 2011. So he's been on the tour for a minute since around that time, even though he's young. Golf is one of those sports. You can so. kind of get in early. Yep. Okay. Word. So you said, going back to what you were saying, Tiger was an influence for you to start, like, golfing. Did you just yeah. wake up one day and was like, yo, he kind of cool. <laughs> I think I want to be no. that dude. <laughs> no, so so what it was was um, when I was in uh, Orangeburg, oddly enough, uh, next door neighbor, um, a black couple, the uh, husband played golf okay. um, right there at Hillcrest. Um, and so he uh, he took me. One time, you know, he asked my parents if they were good friends, if, if I could come out with them. So I came out. That was my introduction to golf. Um, and then from from there, I kind of obviously as a kid wasn't wasn't doing much. But from there, Tiger won the Masters in 1997, okay. which was um, that first monumental win. Obviously, he was the first black golfer to win the masters. Uh, so you have to, I was six years old at that time, six or seven. I was born in 91. So, um, wow. you know, just seeing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just, just, uh, just seeing that, that representation at, at least intrigued me and, and my soft introduction to the game from, from the neighbor. And so what it was, was I had a family reunion and, um, they wanted the kids, they wanted one of the kids to speak at the family reunion. So my parents said, if you give a speech at the, family reunion, I'll get you a set of golf clubs. And so I was like, okay, you know, uh, I said some speech, the speech was actually about Tiger Woods. This was like <laughs> 1998. And, uh, and I used to go to this, uh, summer program, uh, down in Orangeburg at a uh, kitty college. Mm-hmm. And the, the guy there, uh, he took us out to do golf lessons, uh, as a part of the summer program, they were exposing us to different sports and things like that. Uh, so we just went out to the driving range and I had my own clubs. And from there, uh, the love kind of grew as far as watching golf. I didn't play a lot and I'll get to why that is in a little bit. But then uh, when I got to college, um, my, myself and, and one of my best friends, we picked the game back up. And uh, it was kind of seriously from the time that I was about nine, I'm 30 now. So from when I was about 18 to now 30, I've been consistently playing. And through that, I've, grown up watching Tiger Woods win. So I'm very, very fortunate to be just in that kind of sweet spot where he was like our, my Michael Jordan. I didn't see a lot of Mike because, okay. of, you know, he was on the way out. So as far as black athletes are concerned, he was the know, pinnacle Tiger of success for you at that guy. time. Yep. Exactly. Word. So. so I guess in addition to him uh, inspiring you, there's a whole new generation that's actually on tour who, you know, got your skills, just maybe some other opportunities, you know, I'm not going, you know, <laughs> but tell me about some of the guys that are on tour that you know some other black golfers that may have been inspired by tiger 
Yeah, so there's a there's a, a few that are kind of notable. Well, well, at least two notable ones on tour. One of one of which is his name is Cameron Champ. Um, he is a little harder to identify as black because he's uh he's mixed, but okay. he looks uh but truthfully more white. <laughs> but if you look at his grandfather, he is uh, very much a mixed, <laughs> very much a mixed child. Uh, Got it. And so um, he he's probably the most notable one. He has. Um, he's one of the the new breed of golfers that Tiger created around being a very powerful, strong uh, golfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's something that really Tiger brought to the game is athleticism. And so Cameron Champ is one of those guys. He's a he's a big hitter, hits the ball a long way, and he's actually won a couple of times on tour. Um, and he he promotes uh, and is very proud of his ethnicity. Okay. Um, he does a lot of things to to pay tribute to um, the black side of his lineages lineage as his grandfather, who was a military guy um, who couldn't play on a lot of golf courses just because of him him being black um, wow. was his closest influence and was the reason that he picked up a golf club. Um, so he's he's from California, I believe. And then we have another one a, a little closer to home, uh, Harold Varner the uh, third. He went to Eastern Carolina. Uh, and he's on tour as well. He's not one on the PGA tour yet, but he's one of those guys that's in contention uh, a lot of a lot of times, very often. So, um, what do you think's holding him back? Uh, nothing. I think just those rounds, just th- those reps, those okay. pressure reps. Um, he's gotten up even in a few majors. He's gotten up close to the top of the leaderboard a, a few times, but he's only been on tour for a few years. Um, these guys, all of them can play. When you get to that level, golf is one of the hardest sports to get to the professional level in of any sport. Um, so once you're there, you you know if you're if you're going to stick around like he has, you know he'll he'll break through and win. But he's also sponsored um, outside of his connections to the Carolinas through Eastern Carolina. Uh, he's also sponsored by Jordan Brand, which right. is great to see okay. uh, because there are. One thing about golf is that golf lacks is swag. So, it's, so, <laughs> so you, you feel know, like the Jordan brand to help him with that. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a few guys. There's a few guys on tour that uh, <laughs> that are sponsored by Jordan that wear Jordans, and they all of the retro Jordans they make them into golf shoes and things like that. So you, like, I so have seen like some retro tens before that was like mm-hmm. those yeah. is fresh. So, they make you want to go so golf. <laughs> It's nice to see. Yeah, it's nice to see. So those are the, the two main ones. And then there's a couple of guys trying to make their way up. You see a couple of guys get special invites to tournaments sometimes um, mm-hmm. through um, open golf tournaments. Are What they mean is that there's like qualifiers. So if you're good enough to make it through the qualifiers, even if you're not on the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. if you can qualify to play in the tournament, you can get in and you can also get like special exemptions. Um so I can't remember what tournament but or or the guy's name, but there was a black golfer that Tiger gave a special exemption to at the Genesis Open this year. I think okay, I do remember Open. that, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a few guys trying to get there, but but it's difficult, um, especially for uh, not not as much golfers of color, but but black golfers specifically in right. the United States. I got you. It's just more difficult. Um and we can certainly get into that around access to the game and things like that, because that's what makes it tough uh, a lot of times for um, black people in general, men and women, to to draw interest in the game. And then I, I don't want to miss out on, on speaking towards uh, the, the women's side as well, 
Mariah Stackhouse. Mm-hmm. She's on the LPGA tour. Mm-hmm. Um, black a black woman. She's phenomenal. She, I believe, she may have won. I think she may have won a tournament, but if not, she's been very close. Uh, and she is also a notable um, in the in the game right now, as far as black golfers. All right. So yeah. you you mentioned the access to the game uh, and being just one of the biggest deterrences. Now I'm gonna ask you, and I'm gonna keep it a buck. If as a black golfer yourself, what would you say or what would you do to encourage those our age or your age or even like even younger to pick up the game and, and kind of bust through those barriers? What would you do? What did you say is the best part of the game? What, what would you use to motivate them to kind of do that? Yeah. So, so, you know, one thing for, for a lot of us, especially our age um, and older is that golf gives you the ability to remain competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sport where, you know, a lot of us played sports growing up and things like that, especially in our cultures. But now, you know, we get our backs do what they do, our body, our knees, all that <laughs> stuff. We can't. So, it's uh, so, but it's one of those games you can play until you're 80, you know, and, or, or older. And so because of that, it gives you the ability to kind of keep that competitive spirit up and things like that. And it's also a game that really teaches and teaches you patience and being humble uh, it is the only sport that I can think of that you cannot use your athletic, your natural athletic ability to just be good at. Just overpower it's, and muscle through. If you you find me one person that picks up a golf club and is just good at it, then I would I would give you everything I I have. No one's <laughs> just good at golf. I've never seen it. I don't think it's possible. Um, it's just it's one of the most challenging sports, if not the most difficult sport, and so it really tests you mentally. Um, it's a life game, really. It's kind of, you know, when you, when you think about it. Okay. And so um, it's just a great game to get into, especially as you can't go out and hoop anymore. Or, you know, you, your football days are over, your, your baseball days are over, and you don't want to do slow pitch softball or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and, and it's a game where you are always just trying to beat yourself, uh, you know, be better than you were the day before. It's not a team sport. It's an individual sport. So everything is you. Right. And so that that's what I would say to folks that are our age. Now, for younger kids, um, I would also say it teaches a lot of those core values and things like that. You know, one thing I wanted to discuss was I know that the previous week there was a question about, you know, what what draws or I, what was it around what, why why are there not as many black golfers? Right. Yeah. Was from the yeah, yeah. from Pastor Polak who was asking why are there not more African Americans playing golf and mm-hmm. specifically on tour with the uh, PGA? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start and I'll finish it with Tiger's impact, but I'll start by saying um one one reason has been for a long time access. Mm-hmm. It's been kind of this this sport that's been protected. Um, when we talk about like the swag piece of it, it's very rule driven, you know, you have to be quiet and, and we're expressionary people. So it's a little more difficult, right. which is why, you know, regardless of how Tiger acts off the course, you can see it in him. Like you can see his blackness, you know, <laughs> or at least that, that cultural side that right. we, we get proud of in sports, that competitive nature, that Jordan, LeBron, mm-hmm. that, like those, you can see it when he's playing, you know, you can. And so that you know that piece of it makes it more difficult because the game has been guarded for a long time it's one of those sports that we couldn't play 
um, on a lot of courses. They would allow us to caddy and things like that. Those are service roles, right. obviously. Um, you got a tournament. The biggest tournament in golf is called the Masters. It's supposed to be around the Masters of Golf is what it means. But, you know, that connotation in the South has not doesn't sit well with right. a lot of people. How long do you um, think before that gets canceled? Kind of like uh, the Redskins? I don't Redskins. think they'll ever change the name of the Masters. Really? I don't. Uh, yeah, because I mean the original the original name of it wasn't from that directly. But Even though the tournament has yeah. an extremely racist past, I would challenge anyone listening to go or to go to 1997 when Tiger played. Don't watch Tiger. Watch or just type in Google pictures of people mad that Tiger's there. You can look at the hatred in the crowd a wow. lot of times. It's so it's um so it's one of those things where it's it's a very guarded. Uh, sport, so the access isn't there, and different from other sports where okay, if blacks weren't allowed in the NBA at you know when it was originally started, or even baseball or football or whatever the case was, the difference in those sports is all you need is a field and a ball, and it's kind of you know, and so you know, a basketball you just need enough to find hoops, and then mm-hmm. you, we could have our own spaces. Baseball fields you can make those out of anything. As long as there's a field and everywhere there's country rural areas, you can find a baseball field. So, you know, we had the ability and the resources to find our own way in those sports. Mm-hmm. Where with golf, it's, I mean, on acres and acres of land. Exactly. Even you that know? premise itself with the that land, premise, there's the, the no, land ownership. Yeah. There was no way at that time that, that a black person, a black developer was, even if they had that much land, was going to make a golf course. It's rare. There are some black owned golf courses. There's one up in DC. I played actually, but and it, and it's, but I mean, those spaces are rare. And so just the inability to access the game on our own time was a big thing. The other side of it is the cost, you know, and that's probably the, the more prohibitive thing is golf is, you know, when I go out and play, you know, just to play 18 holes and you're out there for four hours or so, but, um, you know, It depends on the course you're playing. And so I like those numbers better than, you know, we won't tell a wife what the real numbers are. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) uh, So, so it's expensive just playing the game of golf. So for a kid where, you know, it's like, Hey, you're getting ready to sign up for sports. What, Mm -hmm. what is a lower or middle income family going to do? And, you know, most black families fall into that category. It's like, okay, you can play basketball for a $200 sign-up or we can play golf, which is literally thousands of dollars. You have to get a coach and things like that. Or, And then the equipment. Right. My golf clubs that are sitting outside right now, you know, over $2,000 is in, you know. So what kid is getting that unless they have access to those kind of finances? And it's really, it's not a priority right. where you can go play elsewhere. So um the cost piece and then the time piece you have to play golf during the day other sports you can play at night in gyms or with lights there's not a lot of golf courses with lights so parents are working and you know so it's just traditionally been a very difficult sport to gain access to and it's been intentional that way for a long time and there's some programs and like the first tee you know first tee of america and things like that tiger woods has a foundation um but to him, I, I think he has not spoken to us directly and really invoked black people. We all all black people that were influenced by Tiger to play golf has been indirect in a sense that he hasn't spoken to us about coming to play golf 
his foundation helps a lot of black kids as other kids, but he uh, has refused to identify and say, hey, I want you out here. You know, you look like me. Right. You know, you are me. I'm black. You know, he said he was Cobblin' Asian. Not sure what that is. Because <laughs> uh, <but laughs> he was Caucasian, black. I forgot the other one, and, and Asian. He made a he made a term. So he, he will not... Um, Isolate Even though that. the reality is he's in this country, and so he is black, mm-hmm. but he refuses to uh, acknowledge and, and kind of uplift that publicly. Um, he won't make any any statements that that you know would make a parent say, "Yeah, I want a kid to go play because of that guy." You know, right. on a personal level, because athletes connect to us personally. You know, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, whoever is there's something personal about them. Tiger doesn't really have that connection with the black community because of his refusal to, you know, he doesn't want to disrespect his Asian side. I understand that. Mm-hmm. I think, though, that there's ways like Naomi Osaka, you know, so that's yeah. pretty much it. Well, if if anybody else is interested in some of the golf names or anything, shoot us a line at Cliff at Carolina Sports Talk, and I'll make sure to get you in, in touch with Justin. Uh, as you heard it, it's it's time for us to kind of overtake some of the things of the past and move into new sorts. And for those of you who still got that competitive drive, golf may be the way to go. I want to thank you again for joining us today, Justin. Any last words for the people or anything they should kind of be on the lookout for you from? No, man. Just if you're in Charlotte, let me know. We can get up and play okay. anytime. Word. No hard feelings about how I do you on the golf course. <laughs> and he's about that life, y'all. And I ain't never been on a golf course with him, but uh, I went to Top Golf, and he was making me look very childish on the court. So <laughs> on the field. Again, thanks, Justin. We appreciate it, and we will talk to you next time, man. All right, I appreciate it. So it is mail time for you guys. You've got mail. Our first and only email of the day comes from friend of the show. Mr. DJ Highstar, his email reads, Big Cliff, what's up, DJ Highstar? And I've got seven words for you. Go, New York, go, New York, go. (laughs) As email continues on, for those not aware, the last time that chant was cool to say, I had a curfew. I got to get that sound effect for you guys. Uh, Listen, can we show some Carolina Sports Talk love to the former Laker, Julius Randle and company? From the pseudo-Kentucky lineup to Coach Tibbs' defensive philosophies paying dividends to even the resurrected veterans Derek Rose and Taj Gibson, what is responsible for the high-quality basketball we're seeing? What is missing to make us championship contenders? Uh, too much of a loaded topic for me. Let me know something. Signed, DJ Highstar. Well, my dog, first of all, thank you for the email. Bro, New York is balling bro like i'm i'm saying like if new york knicks make the playoffs and mess around and make some noise they're gonna overtake brooklyn bro like i know like the knicks in new york is a knicks town and all that and everybody has appeared from new york that has loved the knicks to see them resurrected like yo yo same new york out here balling b (laughs) don't i know i I know don't do it y'all i'm good but no, like they're really, really playing good basketball with a record of 34 and 28. Uh, they already got more wins than they had since like 2014, and they still got more ball to go. Um, like I said, it it is it's a good look for New York. I think most New Yorkers are at the end of the day Knicks fans. Yeah, and I get it. Brooklyn is a sexy pick and has been the kind of hot topic or whatever because of 
um, with all the stars and all that star power they got. But at the end of the day, them fellas ain't played but seven games together as a whole, and that's their big three. Um, and I honestly feel like the chemistry may be off for them this year to not win. But back to the Knicks, yeah, yeah, high star. They are out here playing some good ball. You ask, what do I think is responsible for the quality games? You already said it. It was the first thing you said. Um, not the pseudo lineup, the pseudo Kentucky lineup, but I did notice that too. But no, everywhere that Tibbs has gone, his defensive mentality has proven to be a winning formula. Nobody thought that Chicago would ever be anything after Jordan left. But you saw during that time that Tibbs was there, yeah, he had some high-quality players like my guy down in Miami, but he had them playing hard, snub-nosed basics of basketball. Now, in addition to Tibbs' mentality and his just overall energy and his strategy, I think what helps them is that the fact that they they feel like he, they can trust him, and that's caused your boy to start playing like out of his mind. Julius Randle wasn't this when he was in L.A., ladies and gentlemen. He was not playing to this level. He was a good player, but he didn't live up to what I thought he was going to be coming out of Kentucky. And so um, he's playing that kind of ball now, and even better than that. This is literally the best ball of his career. He's got a perimeter shot. He's, like, good at the clutch and the defense. He's knocking down free throws, like, it's called, I, I, his percentages on it, even the three has increased to the highest of his career. So, but the two formulas, uh, the, the two parts of the formula is Coach Tibbs' defense and them guys just playing out of their minds. And like you said, even with Derrick Rose, who thought in 2020, how, how does that, what if I told you that in 2020, Derrick Rose would have the Knicks in the playoffs? Like that should really be a 30 for 30 because they are playing that good of ball. Um, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see it. What are they missing for championship contenders to become championship contenders? I'm not sure that this year is the year, but what's happening, they have instantly showed, hey, New York is back, baby. We here. You feel me? Like, they are there. And so now I think the stigma that was there with a lot of players um, really kind of like, I'm not going to New York. They're trash. I don't want to play there. I think that stigma is gone and really, with this resurgence, they can have the marquee signatures. Let's say, I'm not sure who's free agents, but let's say Clay gets healthy and says, you know what, Golden State, y'all doing your thing without me. I'm going to holler at y'all. I'm going to New York, saying, like, that could be an amazing, amazing fit for that nucleus that they have there. Or whomever else, just anybody else. But I think that's the one thing that you guys are missing, that superstar play. Because even at the end of the day, Julius Randle playing out of his mind. He was an all-star this year. He's still not that superstar, game-changing type talent. Um, someone of a LeBron's character, y'all can't have him. Uh, I'd like to reiterate that you all cannot have him. But somebody of that caliber, who knows? Dame Dash to New York. You never know. I'm just saying. Uh, but New York's attractive landing spot really is is, is going to be a good look. Uh, while I am talking about New York, that's going to take me to my I Got Money segment of the evening. I got to give a big time shout out to Nick's Jared Harper. My guy signed a new contract. He had been on the second uh, in a row, second consecutive uh, 10 day two way contract, which has allowed players to play both in the G League, the Gatorade League and in, in on an NBA team. Um, the 10 day contract that he had signed had him. Um, it, well, the, the new contract uh, is worth four hundred and forty nine thousand one hundred and fifty five dollars 
over the course of the NBA's 146 season. A 10-day contract typically is worth $99,020. So basically, this new contract he just signed for the remainder of the season bumps up his daily pay per pay average. My, my, my guy was making $3,076 per day. That now jumps up to almost $10,000 and $9,902 per day. Um, so my man tripled his salary with just a stroke of a pen. And, and just I think him, him being a contributor to that team is a big deal. And just shout out to him for getting that money. Also in the I Got Money segment, Mr. Tom, I started to say Tom Coughlin, Mike Tomlin signed a contract extension with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, again, Steelers, I don't like y'all. Just go out there. I am not a Steelers fan, but similar to how I've always said with Coach K and the Duke Blue Devils and me not liking them, I respect Coach K because of the coach that he is. Mike Tomlin, sir, you have earned my respect through the years. How your consistent level of excellence has allowed you to be one of the best coaches. Never mind the fact that he's a black coach. Shout out. <clears throat> Excuse me. But just the fact that you have been a consistent coach over that span that you have been there with a record of 145, 78, and 1. That's 65% of his regular season games he's won, y'all. Um, he's already in top 12 in history for a regular season. Um, and, and just he's like that guy. So shout out to him for getting that bag. And uh, we're really happy for him. And, you know, wish you the best of luck, much success all the way up to the AFC Championship. Because if you come to the Super Bowl with my pen for saying. Anyway, all right, yeah. Right before I let you go, I want to thank you guys for listening. As always, make sure you check us out on the Instagram page at Carolina Sports Talk. You can hit me up on the Carolina Sports Talk line, cliff at carolinasportstalk.net. And as always, you can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's been a blast. I am excited for this draft. I may uh, do a little live session on the, uh, what you call the app the, with the people in the talk, with the clubhouse. So um, let's let's check that out. If if y'all thinking that might be something I should do, hit me up on the Facebook on my personal Facebook page, Cliff Smith, or you can hit me up on the Carolina Sports Talk line or on the Instagram. But tell me, let me know if you think I should go live on Clubhouse for the draft. Once again, this is Big Man Big Cliff. This is Carolina Sports Talk. Peace. Please.